Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Hello! Welcome. We have extraordinary breaking news about animal testing. This is a massive breakthrough in the long-running battle to reduce animal testing, which is so cruel and unnecessary. Let's go straight out to Elizabeth Baker uh, with Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. We're going to talk all about your expertise in a second, but bring us the breaking news. What's going on? Okay, so on November 30th, the Food and Drug Administration launched a new program called iStand. It stands for Innovative Science and Technology Approaches for New Drugs. And what it does is it provides a much needed pathway for pharmaceutical companies and test developers to work with the agency on acceptance of non-animal approaches. So these are methods that don't use animals and instead they use human biology to predict human outcomes for drug testing. How many animals could be saved by this breakthrough? We know millions of animals are shoved in test tubes and have electrodes implanted in their brains. We've all seen the horrific videos and photos by this time. Um, How many animals could this save, Elizabeth? Well, it's really hard to say for sure because there are such challenges around knowing how many animals are used for drug testing because, of course, as I'm sure many of you know, um, many of the animals that are used in drug testing are not even considered animals under the law. So they're offered no protection whatsoever, and we don't have a way to track them. And so there are many efforts underway to work on tracking all of the animals. Um, But our best guess is that for drug testing each year, hundreds of thousands to millions of animals are used. And that's based on some analysis that we've done. But of course, it's just a huge variation because um, so much is unknown. Um, But this is such a breakthrough because it does provide that pathway that didn't exist before. So before, a company that wanted to use a non-animal method would have to make a pitch with the agency um, and provide a ton of extra work and evaluation studies in order to do that. Um, And it would be really rare. It's a case-by-case basis. And so traditionally, it's, it's just the animal studies that are Uh, that are mostly submitted to the FDA. Um, And so this really opens the door. So if we're talking about short term, um, I'd say thousands. If we're talking over the the period of several years, we'll really get up there into um, the higher numbers. And, And eventually, of course, it'll be millions because it will help phase out these animal tests. This is massive. Uh, For 40 years now, I've been uh, an animal activist attending protests and marches against animal experimentation. People marching, uh, holding up signs, uh, basically shouting at the sky, stop torturing animals for 
um, experiments in experiments because what applies to animals often doesn't apply to humans. What applies to humans often does not apply to an animal. The most obvious example that everybody can relate to is you don't feed your dogs chocolate. I love chocolate, but if a dog eats chocolate, it's poisonous. I love grapes, but I make sure not to drop any on the floor because if my dog eats a grape, it's poisonous. So how how important is this in terms of stopping unnecessary animal experimentation and also the waste of taxpayer dollars? Yeah, it's really important for, for all of those reasons. These The non-animal tests are, are more predictive for humans because they're using human biology to make decisions for humans. Um, when you're using the, the um, animal-based approaches or other species, you are understanding what happens in those animals and then hoping that that's going to translate to what happens in humans. But so frequently, it does not do that. And um, the Food and Drug Administration, the National Institutes of Health, pharmaceutical companies all report that the vast majority of drugs will fail when they're given to humans after passing um, the animal trials and appearing safe and effective in animal studies. And so this is so great because it will help to improve drug development, um, help us get safer and more effective treatments to patients who need them, but it also reduces and hopefully um, ultimately will help replace animal studies in the end. So let me ask you, you're a super professional person. You're very even keeled, unlike myself. <laughs> I want what you're having. Um, but as an attorney, as somebody who is an expert in things like toxicology, can you take a moment to speak from the heart as somebody who I know has worked so hard on this for so many years? What's it been like from your heart to achieve this incredible breakthrough that could ultimately save the lives of millions of animals? It's been awesome. It's been totally wonderful. I, um, I do work in a very professional way where I'm collaborating with the FDA. I'm working with Congress. I partner with pharmaceutical companies. Um, but I do the work certainly because I want to help animals. That's why I went to law school in the first place was so that I could um, use my professional degree to achieve something meaningful for animals. Um, and I have been so lucky to have this position with Physicians Committee where I can be working with all of these, I can be at the table really with all of these um, drug development stakeholders bringing, I think, a much needed voice. Um, and I really see my role a lot of the times as um, starting a conversation where it's missing and then keeping that conversation going. And so early on when I started this work, I was looking at policy, given that I'm an attorney, that's really what I, what I focus on. And then I work with a whole team of people who are working on the science. But there were two pretty obvious things early on to me that needed to happen. One of them is that we need to ensure that our written policies are clearly allowing for the use of non-animal methods. Um, and the other was to establish some kind of pathway at the FDA so that companies could work with the FDA where the FDA could clearly give their stamp of approval on, uh, of a new method. Because without it, companies we see are just not using these approaches in 
the way that we think they could be. They are using them in-house for internal decision-making, but then they're also doing the animal studies to submit to the agency so that they can, um, because they know that the agency will accept those methods um, and they want to move forward in drug development. And so I've been working really hard with a team of people on both of those things. Um, with COVID, it, well, it seemed like we were making a lot of progress and then, and then COVID happened. And um, it seemed like all of FDA's resources were, were shifted. And so I was really happy to see on November 30th that they indeed launched the program. And it was so exciting. For me, it was like one of those things that happens maybe a few times in your career when you're spending your career working for animals to have an achievement like that. If you're just joining us, we've got breaking news. We are talking to Elizabeth Baker of Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Elizabeth and her team at PCRM have just achieved a huge breakthrough working with the Food and Drug Administration to launch a program that approves human biology-based methods for use in drug development. And what that means is not using animals. So um, as we dive deep, uh, we know that ultimately this could save millions even billions of animals, considering the number of drugs that are being developed and the number of animals they use in these tests and they stick them into test tubes. And, you know, it's, it's awful. We've all seen the photos and videos. So we're celebrating this breakthrough. And um, Elizabeth, this is a pilot program now. Um, how is it going to be tested so that it can be expanded to um, the entire industry? I mean, every time I turn on the TV, I see another drug being advertised that I didn't know existed before. So this is a massive, the pharmaceutical industry is, I think they have arguably the most or some of the most uh, the largest numbers of lobbyists in Congress. It's a massive, massive, massive industry. How is this going to become the norm in people terms? Mm -hmm. Well, you're right that the pharmaceutical industry is, is just massive and the amount of animals used in these tests is massive. Uh, but what we have found are that pharmaceutical companies want to use non-animal methods, uh, but they want confidence that they can use those methods. So as I said before, the FDA's approval or stamp of approval is really important um, to these companies. And so with this pilot program, it is just a pilot, uh, which me, for them, it means that it's limited to a handful of approaches that will be um, accepted. And so what we are doing right now is we are um, working with companies to help them formulate a, a strong submission and then we are going to be working to ensure that this program is uh, well funded so that it and, and actually offering support to FDA to um, to help them as, you know, an outside stakeholder group um, helping in any way that we can to make sure it's successful. And paint so those sure if you would sorry to interrupt, but paint a picture if you would of what a particular drug, let's say X, Y, Z drug. What would normally happen to an animal and what is going to happen instead in this pilot program? Okay, so just kind of a very simplified tale of drug development. You have the, um, the chemists who are working to identify an investable in, uh, compound that they expect to have a certain outcome in humans. 
Um, it then will move on to non-clinical studies, and that's traditionally where all the animal studies have been. If that goes well, it moves into different phases of clinical trials before approval. And so these methods would be at the non-clinical phase, which is before, as I said, before the clinical trials. And there are just a multitude of tests that are done at, on the, at the non-clinical phase. There are tests for developmental toxicity, for cardiotoxicities. So is, the, is this drug going to be safe or effective in so many different ways? Um, this pilot is going to um, is going to take some of those tests and work to evaluate and accept them so that those tests would be able to be used in lieu of the animal study. Wow, that is extraordinary. I mean, this is a massive breakthrough. 40 years uh, I've been involved. I'll never forget. I was a reporter in Philadelphia when I first was handed a cassette tape of infamous head injury experiments on baboons and um, primates, let's say. Uh, it was one of the most gut-wrenching, awful things I've ever seen of people laughing in a laboratory make playing rock music while they were supposedly experimenting on these animals. And that was four decades ago, a university experiment. And I knew, I said, this something has to be done about this. And here we are, that's a different kind of experimentation. I wanna make that clear. But that, that was one of the videos that sparked the movement against animal experimentation. I mean, this is around the time that uh, some of the major animal rights organizations were just uh, coming on board. It was a very new movement. And now we are four decades later uh, with this major breakthrough and with the pharmaceutical industry actually, you know, collaborating to try to uh, avoid animal testing. It's extraordinary. Obviously, if you could test in a 21st century world on some um, molecules or some cells, as opposed to bringing in an animal, it's more efficient. And um, so it, it makes sense. It's a win-win. We've got several callers on hold. Sarah, your question or thought? Hi, wow, this is so exciting. I'm like literally just so happy right now to hear this breaking news. I wanted to ask you, um, I know that they do testing on chimpanzees and some primates for Alzheimer's and actually chimpanzees, they don't even get Alzheimer's. So this would be a really good thing to use, I think, to show people that, you know, you could do a human experiment first. And then my question really is, how are you going to get all these animals out of these testing labs when you can show them this? I just want to know. That's my really my, my major question is, how are we going to get all these animals out of these okay. places because they don't Thank need to be you. there? Thank you, Sarah. That's a good question. I mean, there's a whole industry built in on producing, breeding these animals, shipping them to laboratories. Uh, what's going to happen there? Well, I think, I think that as companies are using more and more of the human biology-based approaches, they're using fewer of the animal studies. And so the demand goes down. And as that demand continues to go down, uh, production will, production, I'm sorry to use that word, but use of animals will, you know, will go down as well. And the breeding of animals will go down. So we need, there are so many great groups who are working on animal testing issues um, in so many different ways. And we need all of us working on these issues so that we can get to the place where um, these animals are no longer used. 
you did mention Alzheimer's and we do. Um, so I am working on the drug testing itself, but we have a team of people at physicians committee who are working on um, issues with the national institutes of health and looking into more human relevant ways to study and understand human disease. And they're focusing quite a bit on Alzheimer's and other dementias um, for just the reasons you said. Wow, that is extraordinary. And Paige, your question or thought for Elizabeth Baker of Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine as we bring you the breaking news that there is a pilot program uh, that would essentially, um, as it proceeds and is widely adopted, uh, eliminate a huge amount uh, of the animal testing for drugs, if not all the animal testing for drugs. So this is a major breakthrough after a movement that has been um, really advocating for this for going on half a century, if not more. Um, Paige, what's your question or thought? My question is, um, you know, PCRM is always on the cutting edge of new developments, and this is an, an incredible... How many animals are you talking about saving by utilizing this new methodology? Well, so it, it really is hard to say, uh, but for the short term, it'll be fewer. But in the long term, it's, it's paving the way for companies to use these methods in perpetuity. And so I, you know, it's eventually it will be millions of animals saved. But I think in the in the shorter term, it will be. Um, thousands, hundreds of thousands. But what we really need to focus on is ensuring that the program is a, is a success. So doing everything that we can to support FDA, to work with the companies as they're using the program so that it, do, it does become a um, well-functioning, well-funded program that companies are using to integrate new approaches and save animals. Uh, this is so exciting. In our... Um genre of talking about um, animal welfare and climate change and human health impacts. Uh, often, there's not that many moments where you could say, this is really great news. Uh, they come, but there are few and far between. And this is really great news uh, because for so long, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, it, there had been a resistance. People including scientists, we're all human beings. They want to do things a certain way. They've done it that way. And they want to just continue doing that way. There's a lot of, uh, that's just the nature, that's just human nature. Uh, institutions develop processes that they don't really want to change. And uh, the idea now that there's been a shift in thinking and a shift in attitude, and as opposed to something that is reluctantly regarded with resistance, it's actually regarded with curiosity. Let's embrace it. Let's see um, how we can modernize. Uh, I think that is, is, is just as important almost as the details of the program, because once that shift in thinking occurs, it opens the door to re-examine a, um, a lot of the ways in which Animals are um, just systematically subjected to experimentation without other alternatives being considered. So we're going to take um, a brief break. We've got another caller on hold. We're going to take a break.
sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Are you ready for provocative discussions with some of today's most powerful movers and shakers? Tune in to The Art of Significance, featuring Dan Clark, the modern-day Napoleon Hill, who interviews the wealthiest, most successful celebrities and business leaders on the planet who are using their influence to change the world. From authors to entertainers, sports figures, educators to military leaders, Dan covers multiple topics. Tune in every Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel the voice america talk radio network is on instagram make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows live events and around the network we want to see what you have to share as well check us out on instagram at voice america talk radio we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right. We are talking with Elizabeth Baker, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. She is an attorney and also an expert in all things uh, Toxicology, very serious subject to announce a major breakthrough uh, thanks to the very, very determined, relentless, uh, thorough work of Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine uh, based in Washington, D.C. There's been a breakthrough where the FBDA, correct me if I'm wrong, has um, embraced this pilot program, which really allows drug companies to, instead of using animals, use more modern 21st century methods that you're in a test tube, you're, you're looking at cells and um, uh, the modern way. Uh, so this is huge because once that shift occurs, it can spill over to so many other agencies. Let's go to our caller, Lisa, you're on hold. What's your question or thought? Hi, hi, Elizabeth and hi, Jane. Um, I just want to say congratulations to Physicians Committee because this is just an incredible out, an incredible accomplishment. And not only is it saving animals, it's a much better, much more precise and efficacious way of doing research because you get better results. So I certainly want to say that. I do have a question about the COVID vaccine and, um, is there any work being done at the Physicians Committee towards coming up with um, a non-animal but relevant uh, uh, mechanism for, for, uh, for creating the COVID vaccine? And I wondered if you could talk about that. Sure. So we, early on, um, when, when COVID first hit, we started lobbying. So we're really focusing more on, um, more on the policy. So, um, 
how can we influence the tests that are conducted for these medical products? Um, we had a little bit of success on the Hill, but nothing that FDA took up, unfortunately. Um, however, the FDA did, because of the urgency around uh, COVID vaccine, the FDA did um, allow these, these um, vaccines to move into clinical trials much sooner than they, uh, than they otherwise would. And that was um, because they bypassed a lot of the animal studies. Um, there was a, a bit of animal testing that occurred uh, before the vaccines moved into clinical trials, but typically it would be years and there would just be a ton of um, different animal tests that are run before they get to that point. And so those were really bypassed. The unfortunate thing is that a lot of, um, a, a lot of the testing started on animals concurrently with the clinical trials in humans. So there are, um, there are, there are still animal tests happening for these vaccines. It is reduced. Um, and hopefully we can use that to the fact that we were able to bypass a lot of these tests, which we know don't um, provide a lot of value anyway um, in our, in our um, programs and in our arguments for why we should be reducing these studies anyhow. Yeah, I, I'm still flummoxed and perplexed when, for example, um, you, you hear, I think Bill Maher recently said, you know, 95% of uh, all animal uh, tests that show XYZ in animals don't show the same thing in humans and vice versa. I don't know what the actual fact is, but maybe you could elaborate a little bit on that and why there's a desire to test on animals when there is considerable evidence that yeah, we don't have tails, we don't have snouts, we don't have paws, we're not the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it, is, it is known that around 95% of drugs will fail when they're given to humans um, after appearing safe and uh, effective in animals. And so that is totally unacceptable in, in our opinion. And I think that it has led the agency to say, all right, we've got there, there, there can be some opportunity here by using more predictive methods. Um, I think that it, that has also helped with the National Institutes of Health work, but unfortunately there is so much inertia in place. Jane, um, Jane you, you, you hinted at this earlier. There are entire systems that are set up to do things this way. Uh, scientists are trained and they have their PhD where they've learned how to do things a certain way using animals. Um, you have policies that are um, regulations and guidance at FDA that require them, that require companies to use these studies. So there's so many different factors and so much inertia in place. And it's really about chipping away at all of that as we go. Um, I think, Jane, you mentioned um, how this could, how we can move into, into other agencies. Um, I think that we can take a cue from what the Environmental Protection Agency has done. And that is what is really going to help us move beyond animal testing. 
Um, in late 2019, our, our vice president, Christy Sullivan, was invited by the EPA administrator to come sit at the table with him as he signed a formal commitment to replacing mammalian animal studies by 2035 with a reduction of 30% by 2025. And once that top-down commitment was made, everything changed. Within the agency, you start to see the agency looking inward at the policies that have to change. You see a redirection in the scientific community because they they know that change is happening. And so companies are starting to submit more non-animal approaches. Um, the EPA has put together a work plan now that covers all of this, um, that outlines how they will get to be, meet these goals of replacement. And so I think we really need to see those at the FDA, at the National Institutes of Health, at all agencies. Because once you have that top-down commitment, it's a bit of a reset button where um, where the organizations take the lead. And I think that's really important and will get us there a lot quicker than um, just outside groups constantly pushing for it. Well, I agree. And to use an analogy, for example, the automotive industry had resisted uh, electric vehicles. There's a famous documentary, Who Killed the Electric Car? I mean, there were electric cars in the early 90s that were just taken out of production because there was a resistance to change Look at it now. Okay, uh, we've had to wait 30 years, but now the electric car space is the hottest thing. And there are electric vehicles uh, going to market uh, and companies going to market with uh, all sorts of new technology. The pace is accelerating so rapidly, but it took that one big breakthrough. Now, I'm not a car expert, but obviously Tesla is the big name in that space. And then once that happened, it seemed like there was a ripple effect and uh, the mainstream, whether it's Wall Street or um, other institutions began, you know, the governments began uh, embracing it with the governor saying here in California, we want to get rid of uh, all gas powered cars by X, Y, Z year. Um, it's the same thing in a lot of different fields. Uh once that dam is broken, yep. then the uh, outdated methods just collapse eventually, but it takes that breakthrough. Do you think this pilot program could be that breakthrough or could it be, for example, something else that you worked on, the Cruelty-Free Cosmetics Act here in California? <laughs> California is the fifth, fifth largest, I believe, economy mm -hmm. in the world mm -hmm. if it was a, its own country. And so when you working a physician's committee for responsible medicine, working in conjunction with social passional legislation, got that passed um, not very long ago, uh, that was a, just a huge call to companies around the world, get rid of animal testing because you want to be able to sell in California. Mm -hmm. um, where do you see this whole the whole field of animal testing in general, where are we on that trajectory? I, we are moving along. And I, when I, I started working on policy for animal testing about seven or eight years ago, and I, it seemed like a, a, an uphill battle, which it has been. But I think I have seen so much progress in this field um, within that short amount of time. And so we are well on our way. Uh, for FDA, I do think that this pilot is a, 
is a wonderful first step. I think we also have to focus on changing the policies. So currently there are um, FDA regulations that are mandating the use of animal studies. And so I think as long as we're seeing that, we're gonna see animal tests continue. Um, however, this program is really great because what it, it uh, so a, a method that it goes through this evaluation program, at the end of it, if it is approved, it will be called qualified. And that means that any drug sponsor can use that method for a specific purpose confidently. Um, they can be confident that the FDA will accept that method and that is just communicated. So even if there is a regulation on the books that states the animal test is required, um, you'll have this program that says, well, actually in this case, you can use this method. Um, and so it is a wonderful start, but I still think we really need to focus on changing those regulations. We've been working on that hand in hand with this pathway um, for five years, and I think we've, we've made really excellent progress on it. Um, we have Congress on board with us. The, uh, the U.S. Senate, the House of Representatives, both have passed appropriations funding language um, that, that states that the FDA needs to update the regulations. And so we have been working on that for years, getting that type of language is wonderful. But of course, um, the agency had some time to do that and they have to report back in September of 2021. So we've got some time, which means we need to continue working on it until those regulations are changed. But when, when we see this program plus those regulations, I think that is, that's when we know we are, we're really moving. What can people do? I'm going to try to share my screen now for those watching on Facebook to show the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Um, just an, an incredible organization. Uh, and uh, you do so much. Uh, there we go. Um, you have the Good Science Digest. Uh, you have a Michigan bill to outlaw dog experiments that's getting a Senate hearing. You have how many doctors are involved in PCRM and what can the average person watching who's not a scientist or a politician do to help this cause? Um, I see right here six ways the White House can help advance science and save animals. Uh, scanning the human genome for host factors required for SARS, COVID-2 infection. I don't understand all of it, but what can the average person do to help PCRM achieve its goals of ending unnecessary animal testing, which essentially is uh, all animal testing because what yep. applies to a rabbit does not apply to a human being. So you asked how many doctors we have, I think it's around 13,000 doctors who work with us in various ways to meet our goals, either with nutrition or with animal testing and research and training. Um, but we have a, a well over 100,000 other uh, professionals and laypersons who are our supporters and who do work with us. One thing that people can do is go to pcrm.org slash take action and sign up for our action alerts. We only ask you to take action if we really need your help. And when we send it out, it's because we have had a really 
um, thoughtful discussion about strategy and we think that we need public support to move something. Um, and so these things are, you know, the things, these petitions that you get, it, it's like that. It takes 30 seconds usually to put, input your information, but it's about showing public support uh, for whatever it is that we're working on. Um, that's one thing. Another thing for some of our um, really dedicated supporters who want to be a little bit more involved than just doing that. Uh, then, you know, just doing an action alert. We, um, uh, last month, we hosted a virtual Hill Day. And so we'll be doing more of these in the future. But what it is, is generally a Hill Day is in Washington, D.C. It can't happen this year for obvious reasons. Um, but we, everyone goes to the Capitol to um, gather around a specific issue that um, is important to the organizing, uh, yeah, to the organizers and to the participants and with an action to take on Capitol Hill. And so what we did was we met within a period of three days, we, and the support of, of our dedicated members, we met with 48 different offices um, to tell them that we want a formal commitment from FDA and National Institutes of Health to end animal testing. And we know it can be done because EPA is already doing it. Um, now, having the, the supporters there was so important because, of course, your senators, your, um, your congresspersons are so interested in what you care about because you are the voters. And so if you are interested in working with us to set a meeting to make requests of your representatives, um, please do be in touch with me. Uh, my email is ebaker at pcrm.org. And we would, what would happen is we can, um, we can work with you to set up a meeting with your representatives to let them know you care about this issue and to make an ask that then we can work to develop. And sometimes it's just about developing a relationship with that office. And other times we already have one, but it's really helpful to show that voters from their area care about the issue. Well, I could say I have worked with Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine as a journalist for, well, almost as long as you guys have been around. What an incredible organization. And what's so amazing about PCRM is that you have the credibility. You have what did you say? 13,000 doctors. You have scientists, you have nutritionists, you have um, attorneys like yourself uh, and all sorts of experts. So it's not sure there's a place for um, protests and activism, but this is really a far more nuanced and uh, detailed approach that is so effective because you have the facts behind you. And so I would say to everybody, support PCRM. Go to PCRM.org and get involved uh, because it's an incredible organization. And uh, I would say confidently it is one of the most effective top five, three uh, animal welfare organizations in the world. So uh, that's one thing you can do. We're going to take another short break on Voice America Radio. We'll be back. Mm -hmm. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We get Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. We are so excited to have Elizabeth Baker, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, here talking about a breakthrough that could ultimately save millions, maybe even billions of animals from being tested on to develop drugs. It's a pilot program now. When will we know, Elizabeth, um, that it's been sort of, successful, widely accepted, and moving to the next phase of being more widely adopted? Well, we, so we did have some discussions with FDA and we, we didn't, we weren't able to get that information just yet, but I think from the outside, so I don't know their internal um, grading, but on the outside, I think we'll know because we'll have companies who are um, using the program to submit applications for qualification of these non-animal approaches. Um, we'll, they'll be underway working with the FDA, but ultimately once a method is qualified, because when we get to the point of qualification, that's when a company can confidently use the method uh, with a, for FDA purposes for drug testing um, and and uh, in lieu of the animal study. So let me, I am the furthest thing from a scientist. I mean, making toast and coffee at the same time is a major breakthrough for me personally. Um, But if you could kind of paint a picture, because I mean, what I see, and this is me, is this sort of medieval approach of animals being bred and shipped in, and then they're stuck in test tubes. And then there's the modern world where we're looking at the molecular and submolecular level. When you even talk about COVID during this crisis, they're talking about things that are obviously not visible to the human eye. Uh, so can you paint a picture of what human biology-based non-animal methods look like? If you were describing it to a 
to uh, you know, a youngster? Sure. So these are approaches that you're, you take away the whole animal, which is, is where we currently are. Um, there are in vitro tests, which are the tests that use human cells or tissues and are conducted in a laboratory. There are computational approaches, which are sophisticated computer modeling. Um, maybe it will help to just take one example. Um, organ chips is something, organ chips have had a lot of, um, a lot of hype and attention. The FDA is interested in them. They're taking them in-house. The National Institutes of Health has an entire program that they've been working on for organ chips. We're seeing a lot in academia. We're seeing a lot of what interest are organ chips? from companies. And what they are is um, they are just small little chips about the size of a USB. And they use human cells. Um, you can get a human cell. It's called an iPS cell. It just, um, you take a skin scraping, the, the cell is reprogrammed and it can grow into any of the organs in the human body that, that you're working for. And so this technology is developed to use the human cells and to mi mimic the structure and the functionality of the human organ. And so you'll have that in your laboratory um, where if it's a heart on a chip, there will you'll have um, these cells that have been reprogrammed and grown into um, human heart cells and that are coming together to work in this little chip and that actually beat like a heart beats. Um, wow. And so that is one of the methods that FDA has enumerated as, as methods they expect will benefit and, and use this program. Wow, that's incredible. So yeah, it, it's really using the human cell or scraping whatever, whatever the right. technical term is, as opposed to doing the same test on an animal, which has obviously a different biology. Mm -hmm. um, it's also, I would have to guess, but correct me if I'm wrong, going to save a lot of money for taxpayers because there's a lot of government funding that goes into this, as well as the drug companies themselves. Uh, we hear a lot of discussion mm -hmm. about the um, insufferable price of uh, prescription drugs. Uh, there's ads on television of people who can't afford basic drugs for their kids in desperation, trying to raise funds to get drugs that are life-saving for their children. If this is a more efficient method, which obviously it is, and it's more effective because it's testing the actual human who is taking the drug as opposed to an animal, which is not taking the drug, then how much money could the pharmaceutical industry and the government and the taxpayers be and the consumers be looking at saving? I think it's a lot of money. It's, um, it's certainly relevant to taxpayer funding. It's relevant to private funding. Um, it's, you have the costs of doing the studies. You have the, the cost of like the, the resources to, to do that with staff. But then I think the biggest cost savings is identifying unsafe drugs to fail quickly. Um, many drugs will get through the animal studies, they get through a phase of, of human clinical trials, um, they move on and as it moves on, drug development gets so much more expensive. So when you have a drug that you think is gonna work because of the animal studies, but then it fails, um, 
that costs a ton of money because clinical trials and the animal studies are just so expensive. Um, and so I think that's where we'll see a, a big, as we are using more predictive methods earlier in the process, these, um, these unsafe or ineffective drugs will fail earlier in the process. And, that, and that's where we'll see big cost savings. And also the potential of saving lives. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's side effects that are unanticipated uh, of drugs. I mean, in fact, every time you look at a drug commercial, the side effects that they list in rapid sequence are extremely alarming. Yeah. So um, it's actually a potentially a lifesaver for humans to t test. Yes. And, and my chihuahua is saying he's all in favor of it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think Jane, that, um, I certainly didn't, didn't mean to state that the costs are the big thing, because I think for all the stakeholder groups, it's different and I can't speak for them, but you have, you really see all of the stakeholder groups on board with integrating more predictive approaches that are more relevant for humans. Um, for the FDA, um, I imagine it's because they are tasked with ensuring that medical products are safe and effective. And they know that the science is evolving. Um, they know that the animal studies are not great, but until, until November 30th, they didn't really have a program to evaluate these studies. And so on the agency side, I think it's that. For pharma companies, I think they want more predictive ways to assess human outcomes. They want to decrease the time um, that a drug spends in the, in the drug development pipeline, and they want to decrease their costs, which I think as you're using more predictive methods, that's going to happen. But you also have test developers, and these are companies that are focused um, primarily on developing these approaches. So developing new tools that are better than what we've had to use in drug testing. And so they want to see their human biology-based scientific approaches and technologies integrated into drug testing. And of course, um, of course, they have a financial stake, but they also are scientists and scientists generally want to put the best science forward. Um, but I really do also think that all of these groups share a goal of reducing animal testing. Now, uh, you know, some are acting on it like um, in more <laughs> with 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 that more at the forefront, like these groups who are developing non animal methods. But I think it is important to the FDA. I do think it's important to pharma companies, but they're balancing it with all of these other um, competing interests. And, but that's why I think we need to be pushing so hard for that top-down commitment to moving away from animal studies. Again, we've had a fascinating discussion for this past hour with Elizabeth Baker, attorney and expert uh, at Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, talking about a huge breakthrough. This is a, a once-in-a-lifetime breakthrough, uh, the FDA is launching a program to approve human biology methods, which is non-animal methods, which is testing a um, on the cellular sub-molecular level. I'm not going to describe it. She's been describing it for the past hour, but testing on chips and uh, not testing on uh, rats and dogs and monkeys and mice uh, and other animals. And so this is a huge breakthrough as those tests prove to be more efficient, more effective, because they're actually testing on humans in the sense that it's cellular material from humans, uh, scrapings that now they can use to analyze uh, what's going to happen 
uh, when a human takes a drug, it's going to really revolutionize and bring um, science into the 21st century as it relates to drug testing. And uh, let me ask you one final question. We've got literally one minute. I've got uh, comments saying, I wish this was happening in Canada. I wish this was happening in this country. Uh, what is the global outlook? Do you, does Physicians Committee work uh, outside the United States to uh, encourage the same kind of uh, change? We do. And we understand that global harmonization is key to making big change because if a company can use that non-animal approach, say in the U.S., in, um, for, with the European Medicine Agency, with Canada, with Japan, um, then we'll see a much bigger, uh, much quicker decrease in animal testing. And so while we were putting our, most of our efforts at this point, um, focusing them on FDA, FDA can work with the agencies. They are part of a international um, group of, of decision makers to um, harmonize, but we are doing that ourselves as well. And so we are, um, we are deciding now how, how we need to work with um, the European Medicines Agency in particular. But I think the biggest thing is that when FDA does this, the other countries are going to follow suit. The FDA is really a leader in drug development. And um, that's one of the reasons we've put so much of our efforts into them. But we are certainly not going to stop until these methods are accepted um, in a globally harmonized way. And, uh, you know, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine was started by Dr. Neil Barnard, one of my heroes. And he was a medical student and they told him, I believe he's told a story. They told me you have to experiment on this dog. And he said, I really don't want to do that and got a couple of other students and it became a legal case and he made history and the veterinarian, uh, excuse me, the medical, well, it's happen, happening also in the veterinary world, but the medical uh, colleges have, have advanced beyond some of those crude tests. And uh, so that's how it started many, many years ago. And uh, it's grown into this massive organization with 13,000 doctors and they actually in pre-COVID times pose right in front of uh, the Capitol and the White House. So if anybody doubts that there are 13,000 doctors and medical professionals associated with Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, they have photos of them all and also nutritionists and scientists. So it's a, just a huge, huge uh, organization. I urge everybody, uh, go to PCRM.org. I've got it here right on my uh, phone, PCRM.org and get involved because it's actually a fun organization too. Um, there are uh, events where you get presentations from scientists and doctors and they tell you all about all the incredible things they're doing. A great group of people. I am so excited and honored to be a part of PCRM uh, as, a, as a person who goes to your events and supports you and talks you up and uh, interviews you. Uh, but carry on. This is just incredible work. Congratulations on this huge breakthrough. Let's uh, give a virtual uh, round of applause to Elizabeth Baker and her amazing team at Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Way to go. And when that gets adopted, this pilot program, you'll come back and we can talk about uh, what's going to happen next. Thanks again. Uh, thank you for joining us at home. Please share this out. And again, go to PCRM.org and get involved. 
Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.